Hey everyone, welcome to the Love and Truth Church Savannah podcast. We are so glad you joined us. Our hope is for these teachings to be encouraging and uplifting and that they would help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, let's get ready to receive a powerful message from Pastor A.J. Fowler. take your Bibles and open to the book of Matthew 24. Matthew 24. I want to talk (laughs) on a subject that uh, I'm calling this series Triggered, and you'll know why in just a few moments. Uh, But dealing, how to deal with the spirit of offense. How to deal with the spirit of offense. Because you probably know many people, it's not you, definitely not anybody in this church, but We probably know many people that you have to walk on eggshells around. Like when you get around them, you just know it's just the smallest thing. You you don't know what they're going what kind of condition they're gonna be in when you walk and get in front. You don't know if they're gonna be mad, you don't know if they're gonna be sad, you don't know how if you say anything to them, they're gonna bite your head off. It's because a lot of times, and I get it, it's it's all from past and all past history, but but I want to bring something to you tonight that over these, when it, we're going to plan for three Wednesday nights that I can get this, so we'll just push it out and advertise it when we know we can, because I know that next Wednesday night will be, uh, we'll be off, no service, and the previous, following Wednesday night is our first Wednesday night encounter, so we'll pick up when I get back, but um, it's, or when we come back into the service, but it's something that I felt like God laid on my heart because I'm seeing it grow and get worse that offense is growing and it's getting worse. And here in Matthew 24, I'll read it in just a moment, but let me just tell you, when I talk about spirit, spirit of offense, it's not a demonic spirit. So you, you can't come to the altar and someone lay hands on you and rebuke it and it leaves. It's, it's spirit actually deals with heart. It's the attitude. So when I say spirit of offense, it's the attitude of offense. And um, if you don't deal with your offense, if you don't deal with it, it's going to deal with you. At some point, I promise you, it will deal with you. It will rear its head, and it will destroy a relationship. It will destroy a, uh, friendships. It will destroy all sorts and types of things, and eventually, it will destroy you. But offense is, according in the Scripture, the Greek word is called scandalon. So you can imagine what word comes from that. But it means a stick for bait of a trap, generally a snare. It's a stumbling block. Um, and we look at Jesus when he's talking to Peter, and he said, Peter's trying to, no, you're not gonna, you're not gonna die. There's no, and he said, not, he said, get behind me, Satan, for you're a rock or an offense to me. You're, a, you're an offense to me. And he, he speaks to him and saying, you're a stumbling block to me. And if I could look at it this way, it's an imagining like a, a, a snare that in, maybe in the old days, especially you see it on cartoons, they would bend, they would bend a tree and set it on the ground with a rope and it would set it with, with, the, with the, the bait in the middle and all the, the animal had to do was step in the middle of the trap and it would snap, it would trigger it. So it, it's an emote, it's where we're getting triggered. It triggers and it, snare, it snares the, the animal there and it's easy prey for obviously uh, the predator. But if I could say it on this other aspect of this, that an offense is a seed that the enemy plants 
in you and you are the one that waters it and grows it to the point to where it brings destruction. It's a seed. It's the parable of the wheat and the tares. When the enemy came by at night, sowed seed in the night and kept rolling and then it just grew and grew and grew. But you water it by your attitude because it is not a spirit from the enemy. It is an actual attitude of the heart that has to be adjusted. It has to be dealt with. Again, if you don't deal with it, it will deal with you. And so tonight, my hope and my prayer, I don't have it all figured out. It's impossible that we're not going to be offended in times of our life, but it's what you do with it whenever it happens into your life. That's what I want to hone in. And I'm going to bring, I'm going to lay the foundation for it tonight and try to speak, uh, try to speak some, some counsel, some wisdom into this, these areas of things that I've personally experienced, as well as uh, others that have talked to me about the spirit of offense. But the book of Proverbs says that a wise man scales the walls of the mighty and brings down their trusted stronghold. Well, now that's interesting because um, in order for there to be a strong, what do strongholds do? If you look at it, it's to keep people, certain things in and keep certain enemies out. It's a stronghold. It's a strength. Well, Paul talks about strongholds, and we look into the book of 2 Corinthians, and he talks about this, but I pray I pray into Proverbs every morning. I read through it, and especially this specific proverb speaks directly to my heart because as a pastor, my goal and my heart is to climb and scale the walls of those strongholds in people's lives, get into the midst of their stuff, and develop or speak truth, release anointing so that the walls begin to come down, and people don't build walls. They set boundaries, because that's what you need to do is set a boundary. Boundaries are healthy. Strongholds and walls are not. You have to drop walls. And a stronghold, let me just give you my personal definition of what I believe a stronghold is. A stronghold is human reasoning. It's not a thought. It starts with human reasoning. Human reasoning. It's not something the Lord would speak to you or a good friend would give you wise, godly counsel. It's a humanistic, reasonable thought that we get into our mind that it, we reinforce it with our feelings, with our, uh, how we feel, what we think. We continue to reinforce that thing over time, and then it becomes a stronghold. And then it takes a wise person to scale those walls, get into your world where you start trusting and letting them tear the wall down. I'm going to preach for a certain amount of time, and I'm stopping whatever we come to, we come to, and we'll pick it back up. Luke 17 and 1 says this in the scripture. It says that he, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He said, it's impossible. Now, if it came from Jesus' mouth, first off, scripture is truth. But if it came from his mouth, then guess what? It's going to be impossible that no offenses should come. But woe, that word woe does not mean, oh, woe is me. No, it means, and uh, if you've got your kids in here, I'm sorry, but it means damned are those if this falls into your world. You find yourself into a very bad spot when, you are, when Jesus is saying, but woe to them. You're at the point to where it's becoming greater or it's more destructive. So we pay attention to that. It's impossible that they should come. By the way, if you're looking for uh, something specific, I know there's going to be a lot of amens coming from people's mouth tonight. I've already settled that in my heart. These, this love language of words of affirmation is going to be good, all right? But what I, I would encourage you to make sure and look up uh, John Bevere, look, get his book, The Bait of Satan. I have pulled a lot of truth. I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. But I'm going to take what he had. I'm going to take what I've got, and we're going to combine them. And his bullet fits my gun tonight, so I'm going to shoot it. So, um, 
But Matthew 24, we're going to, let's, let's take it and go into this vein right here because this is the meat of what I want to talk about. Matthew 24, verses 10 through 12. I'm not even there myself. There we go. Jesus is talking about the last days. It's the signs of the times and the end of the age. Now, nobody knows that day. We, nobody knows. The scripture, Jesus says, not, the Son of Man doesn't even know. Only the Father in heaven. But he's talking about the season at the end of the age, what's, what's going to happen. You're going to see, if your eyes are open, you're going to see what I'm about to read. We are in this right now. We've already experienced pestilences and earthquakes and all that stuff, wars and that stuff's already taking place. We are at the point now where it says in verse 10, and then many will be offended, will betray one another and hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Man, I want to go somewhere, but I'm going to be nice. And because lawlessness will abound, that means will thrive and flourish, the love of many will grow cold. But Jesus says, but he who endures hardship, tribulation, pressure, stress, to the end shall be saved. Now, verse 10 lays out and it says many. Well, what is it referring to for many? The majority. The majority will be offended. And offense is the beginning Offense is the beginning. Sometimes it could be the person, as I said, walks with the feelings on their shoulder. I just personally, I, I, I'm going to talk to them and be nice to them and we'll love them because I used to be the guy that had the feelings on my shoulder a lot of the time. I don't want to be that. I want to be approachable. I don't want somebody to see me and I don't know what he's going to say. Like, I don't know. It's kind of one of those things you go to talk to somebody and then you, you, you say something and you take a step back because you don't know if they're going to swing or what. You know, not literally, but you just feel that. You feel that. Because their internal world is chaos. It's a wreck. There's nothing but hurt and wounds, uh, and, and, and it's, it's horrible on the inside, and they're hurting. But offense is the beginning that leads to deception. Offense is the breeding ground for deception. Now, here's the thing. The people that are deceived don't know they're deceived, and so some of you tonight, please, let me just ask you something, because God has dealt with me a lot in this, in this area of my life. All I'm asking for you tonight is if you're the person that have always struggled with areas in these life where you struggle with the fence, listen, I want you healed. Don't try, to, don't try to pass it off tonight. Listen, if it's you, this is Wednesday night. This is our core. Open your heart and let the Holy Spirit do a work because he wants you healed. He needs you healed. We need you healed because the harvest is ripe. You, you need to reach people. God is trying to send you somewhere. But offense is the breeding ground for deception. And Jesus begins to talk to them, and he says, look, guys, he said that um, many false prophets are going to rise after the offense, the betrayal, and the hatred. False prophets are going to rise, and Jesus, what did he say about false prophets in Scripture? Remember? What did he describe them as? Wolves in sheep's clothing. He didn't call them wolves in shepherd's clothing, Wolves and sheep's, I'm not saying that there's not wolves in the pulpit. I'm just saying he calls them wolves in sheep's clothing. So that, and what does wolves do? They run in packs. Why do they run in packs? Because they look for the weakest link that they can pick off. They don't look for the strongest one that's got a prayer life. They don't look for the one that's in that place of devotion that is one of the strengths in the body of Christ. They look for the weakest link so that they can isolate. And as they isolate, they go to work, and they consume it. 
if you can isolate the sheep from the herd, it's meat for their table. Now, who are the many that they're deceiving? Think about it. Who are the many that they're deceiving? It's the ones whose love has grown cold. That's the ones that they're deceiving. The false prophets are coming to deceive those that's love has grown cold. Well, how does your love grow cold? Starts with a fence. All right, I keep moving. Uh, Proverbs 18.1, it says that a man, we'll just put it, a person who isolates themselves seeks their own desire, which means pride. They're prideful. They isolate themselves. Solitude is good. Jesus would withdraw himself from the crowd, go up on the mountain in solitude and pray. Solitude means I need time away. I'm mature, I'm mature enough to understand my emotional and my mental and my physical capacities are completely overwhelmed. So I'm going to withdraw myself and have a Sabbath moment where I'm going to pray and seek. So solitary, solitude is good. But isolation, on the other hand, is devastating. Because when you isolate yourself, the scripture says you rage against all wise counsel. It's not that you turn your back on it. You, you're upset about it. something has ticked you off to that point. And, and you, your mindset may be, well, everybody thinks this about me. Uh, uh, everybody's out to get me. So I'm just going to sit back. I'm going to back myself away from this. Uh, and, and maybe it's from uh, more of a baby mentality. Well, I just, I'll just remove myself. If they think they can, go let them do it. So you isolate yourself. But what you're doing is you're falling prey. You're, you're stepping into the trap, and you're, you've done triggered it. You've triggered a trap, and now it's because he said it for you. So you isolate yourself, and isolation is not just in the physical. You first isolate yourself here before you isolate yourself from the crowd. That's what happens. I know because I've done it before. In verse 12, Jesus says, look, lawlessness will begin to abound. It will flourish. And what is lawlessness? Lawlessness is not being submitted to the authority that God has placed in your life. That authority could be your spouse. That authority could be leadership in a church. That authority could be your job. Those has been placed. And I want to tell you a great book that if you if you'll get your hands on, it will change perspective. I just ordered it for my staff this past week. We're about to read it. It's a it's a book by Watchman Nee. He was a Chinese minister back in the, the 30s, 40s, and 50s. It's called Spiritual Authority. Spiritual Authority. It's incredible. One of the most incredible books I've ever read on Spiritual Authority. Incredible book. And he speaks on this. But the, it's important that for myself, I align myself with that which God has placed in my life to watch over my soul from a, from a parent to a, a spouse to a boss to a, whatever it may be, certain authorities that's been placed into your life. Because what happens is, whenever, whenever you begin to start thinking apart from that, you get lawless thinking. And when I develop thoughts that are contrary to the word of God, I become a lawless thinker. You have to see it from God's perspective. What, I, I preached on this series for four weeks on sonship. And one of the weeks that I hit, I talked about, this is your constitution as a son or a daughter in the kingdom. This is what we live by. Many of us know our constitution. In the natural, we know the American constitution. We understand the Declaration of Independence. We see all the, the Bill of Rights. We look at all the amendments. But we know our rights. Well, in the kingdom, you need to know your rights. You need to know what the law says. That's why I said you need to know what's permissible and what's not. You need to know what's that's trespassing on you where you need to stop the enemy and say, not anymore. You have to stop. It's important to know this. But the, the thing about... The thing about lawless thinking is that a lot of times is that when we slip into that place, if you look at the progression, it goes from offense to betrayal 
to hatred, and then it goes to false prophets rising up, and then you fall into deception, and then you don't even know that you're being deceived. You're already at that point. And because of lawlessness that's wide open, then the love of many, that those that begin to fall away, that's the love of those that it begins to grow cold. And I'll, I'll hit that in just a few moments. Actually, right here. So when Jesus says that the love of many will grow cold, what is many again? It's the majority. Now, he's not talking to the world. He's talking to the church. Because here's why. The love that Jesus describes right here in this setting of scripture is the word agape or agapeo. However you want to say it, I'm not, a, I'm, not, I'm not getting into all that. But the word love here means, and you're capable of agape love, unconditional love. Are you telling me that we are? Jesus just says it. The love of many, the agape love of many will grow cold. So in other words, this is what agape love means. Undefeatable benevolence and unconquerable goodwill that always seeks the highest good of the other person. Hear this. No matter what they do, it is the self-giving love that gives freely without asking anything in return. Think about how many times we do something for somebody and expect, we might not say it, but expect something in return. And when it's not given, well, last time I take something to their house or last time I do something for them because you gave it with an expectation. Jesus says it's agape love. You give without expectation of anything coming back. That's, that's, that's a God pay love. You don't consider the worth of an object. Here's where we as believers, uh, a lot of times we get these words mixed up. Agape love is the love by choice. It's the love that I will, I choose to love. Doesn't matter what they do, what they say, how they react to me, I choose to love them. There was somebody back in the day that I would do certain things for. And every time that I would do something specifically for this person, I never got anything in return. I would get frustrated, get mad, I was upset. It was like, man, I don't understand. There's, there's not even a thank you that comes from this person. Nobody in this room. But every time that I would do something for this person, I would never get anything in return. Until not, it was probably back about three or four years ago, I was, because I'll come into God's presence and I'll pray and I'll say, Lord, I need you to search me. I need you to look. It's a, it's, it's a prayer God will always answer. Search me, oh God, and know me. Try me and see if there, uh, try me and know my anxieties and see if there be any wicked way in me whatsoever and God will bring it up. And then I have to work it out. I'm, a, I, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an introverted uh, prayer. When I come into prayer and I have something going on with somebody, I'll come right in here and I'll talk to him about you and I'll do it. I'm just kidding. I'll talk to him about the situation and I'll lay it out. God, this is how I feel about it. I know that my feelings can be wrong, but I'm bringing it to you. That's how I handle it. So I'll move on. And sometimes I'll bring it to him five days in a row and just bring it up to him, bring it up to him. And eventually the point came to where whenever I would do something for that person, it was just in general, do it, walk off and be done. I'm just good. I love them. I choose to love and pray. God bless them. Choose to pray. So I was just choosing in my heart to love them and continue to do things for them. Uh, and, and then it eventually began to flip. One of these times, that they just began to respond differently. I can't go into details. It's just what happened. They began to respond differently. And it was fine because the enemy was trying to work me over and trying to, well, look, they're not even responding the way you think they ought to respond. They're not even grateful. They're not even thankful. Anyway, agape love, it's a choice. You do it by choice. The second type of love is the word philos. It's the word that we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And that word philos means love by chance or by emotion. Like how we do forgiveness. 
well, I'll forgive them when I feel like it. No, sorry, it's not how it works. It's love by, or it's, it's forgiveness by choice, not by emotion. And so a lot of times that's how we respond in the body of Christ is we do things for people based upon emotion. Well, I'll do it for them, but gritting our teeth when we're doing it, right? All right, I gotta keep moving. So this love is directed towards the church, not the world. And only a son or daughter can give this type of love towards one another in the kingdom. Those that are continually being led by the Holy Spirit, these are the ones that God fills with his agape love to release, to give freely to those around them. Um, but here's the thing. The person that you love the most is usually the person that hurts you the worst. Could be a spouse. Could be somebody, and a lot of, in the church, I'm not talking about in this church, in the capital C church. That's why people get church hurt, they get offended, and they leave churches because their expectations didn't get met. In a relationship, they, it didn't get met maybe uh, in a specific setting, whatever it may be. And a lot of times we have unsaid expectations. Y'all with me? Unsaid expectations. In other words, there's things we don't say. So, for instance, for my staff, if I don't tell them exactly what it is that I expect on certain topics, so I can't be upset at them and get offended and feel like, well, they're just trying to, they're rebellious. They're doing their own thing. No, you have to make them known. Then we have unmet expectations. Those that, that we have stated, but yet they're unmet. Then we have unreal expectations. Those that are set so high. And a lot of times we set these for maybe, maybe uh, uh, marriages. And a lot of, I've seen it a lot in marriages where expectations are so high. And then the reality sets in. It's like, man, that ain't nothing like I thought it was going to be. Or maybe it's for church leaders because I was one of those at one point that elevated someone specifically to a certain position that whenever they didn't meet that in my mind, guess what? The higher the expectation, the greater the fall. That's what happens. I, please don't elevate me and put me to that position. I know that some people do that to church leaders. Don't elevate me to a because I will mess up. I'm just going to be, I'm a man. Everybody in this room, we're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. It's usually the people that, um, I'm, I'm afraid to say this, I'm being open and transparent tonight. It's usually those, the loudest booze in your life, not drinks, the loudest booze in your life will come from the cheapest seats, the people that don't matter. You with me? And a lot of times, for those of us that are holding certain aspects of positions, you have to pay for the opinion that you give. It's easy to be an armchair quarterback. I love to scream at Tom Brady. What the heck? You threw two picks this past Sunday, Tom. You got beat by the Washington Red. They're the Redskins. They're not the football team, you know? So I can scream at him, but guess what? He's the one on the field. So when I put myself in his shoes and the pressure, the stress, and the weight that he's having to go undergo at 44, and the expectations that we've all set for him to perform, it's impossible you have to be your own person and walk with God and understand what he's directing you to do. I, 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 want, I can't go too deep into that, but you've got me. You've got my point. So we expect unbelievers outside of the church, don't we expect them to say and do things that bring offense into your life? They ought to. I mean, they're unbelievers. But the church people, you better not. Not just in the 
the local, I'm talking about the capital C church. No matter what the scenario, hang with me right here, listen up. In whatever scenario, you can put offended people into two categories. You ready? Those treated unjustly, like legitimately, they were authentically treated bad. Something happened, and through something, they were offended, okay? A lot of times, you won't even know the people that are offended. You'll hear it uh, probably six months later when they've already left your life and stepped into something else. You'll hear about, well, did you, this is what happened. You know, you, th there's never, because here's the thing, and I got to stop right here for just a moment. Here's the thing. We don't know how to confront people in a healthy way. That's the problem. We would rather hold offense, hold unforgiveness, hold bitterness before we would hold a conversation. Listen, I get it. I know this is heavy, but I am going to confront this attitude in the body because we need to know when this thing rises its head, when the enemy sets the trap, I don't want you to be ignorant of his devices. So I'm going to talk about this next week or whenever I get my second one is going to be dealing with people that you have to confront because this is the way we think that we ought to confront people and, and, and receive. And you did this to me. I can't, did you not even understand what you said to me when you did this? Did you feel, did you not see this? That's how we confront people. And the scripture says that it's godly sorrow that works repentance. Godly sorrow when I go to my brother or my sister, I am not getting, oh, I forgive you. I'm going to get either punched in the face or I'm going to get them turning around and them seeing my backside because I will not engage in an immature conversation like that. And neither should you. Nobody should. If you can't have a healthy confrontation where you're having conversation, then it's not worth it. I'm telling you, it's not worth it. If it costs you your peace, it ain't worth it. Walk away until they can control themselves. And I'll talk about it. Just hang with me. Have I lost everybody at this point? <laughs> Those that are treated unjustly, it happened for real. It happened. They were offended. Second, they, those who believe that they've been treated unjustly, it's those that I, I, I was. But maybe they have a track record. You know what I'm saying? You know, you, you think about it, if... Everywhere that I go, I'm constantly causing a stir and problems are constantly arising around me. God changed them. I just pray, I, I, I've done this before. God, I just pray that you would change their heart. They need to change. God, they, they've got to change. They need to change. God, they pray for this one. Boy, they just need to change. Until one day, a man named Andrew Welch goes into, and y'all, I've referenced this before. Andrew Welch go, uh, comes into a men's bre breakfast and he says three words. I think it's three words. I'll just have to, I, I can't remember count them. He said three words and it messed with me and it came into my prayer closet and hasn't left since. God, change me. I realized that, well, wait a second, I'm the common denominator. I need to change. God, change me. And then when God humbles you, he brings you low groveling on your face to the point to where you said, God, forgive me. I'm sorry you let me see this. Thank you for letting me see it in secret so nobody has to see it in public, right? But people in the latter, those that believe they've been treated unjustly, they believe with all their hearts that they've been wrong, but often their conclusions are drawn from inaccurate information. They draw their conclusions from inaccurate information. They develop imaginations around everything. And we always judge people on their intention of their heart. Like look at Jay and just think, well, he did that because this is why he did that. I'm judging him by his intention. I don't know his motives. 
I don't know his heart on that, on anything. Or the information that they have is correct, but their conclusion, because they're blinded and their mindset is skewed because they're not seeing truth, it's, their conclusion is distorted. It's not real. It's a false reality. Either way, they're hurt and their understanding is darkened. They judge by assumption, appearance, and hearsay. I have judged by assumption, appearance, and hearsay because I used to carry my feelings on my shoulder. Philip Meek mashed them really good. (laughs) Where I would go into prayer and deal with it personally. God, help me. Deliver me. Help me with this, God. So let me ask you this. For those of you that have been genuinely and authentically, you've been hurt, you've been offended. Do you have a right to be offended? Let's just confront it right here. Do you have a right to be offended? The answer is no. I know. It, I, I know it hurts. And I know it did hurt. I know what they did hurt what they said or what they didn't say or what they did or what they didn't do. I know it hurt. I get it. But there was only one that had the right to be offended. He was the only one that had the right to be offended. And what did he do? He climbed upon the cross and he hung and said his last words before he said it's finished. He said, Father, Please forgive them. They don't have a clue. That's called spiritual maturity. I get it. That's who we're following. Well, he's deity, but he was also fully man. He set the example for you to follow. Now, here's the thing. Man, I'm dealing with forgiveness this week. We'll deal with it next time I preach. Here's the thing. Forgiveness requires one person. You with me? Forgiveness requires one person. That's you. Reconciliation, though, requires two. And if they don't want to reconcile and they want to continue with the bad attitude, forgive them. I release you. Because what you've just done is you have just tore your wall down and you've set a boundary. Boundaries are important because in the book of Proverbs, it says, do not move the ancient boundary stones. It's the proverb. I have to be careful that I'm not building walls that are keeping everybody out because walls speak to isolation that speak to devastation and destruction. Boundaries are spiritual maturity. They say, hey, whoa, whoa, I forgive you, but that right there is as far as you can come. I love you. I forgive you. But from this point moving forward, I don't think it's great that we walk in relationship. So I set a boundary, and it's a healthy boundary. And I don't say it mean. I don't say it rude. I just establish it and lay it out front because if people want to act that way and act like a three-year-old, hey, go ahead. It's fine, but I I can't do that. I can't meddle in this drama. I got to remove myself from it. You can't afford to. You can't, right? You have the right to be whatever you want to. If you have the right, you say, oh, I got the right to be offended. I mean, that's, that's your right. You can do that. But what happens whenever you've been offended? It opens the door for bitterness. Hurt people end up hurting people. They bleed all over people. Hurt people, wounded and offended equals bitterness. Then you fall into the trap. Here it is. An offended a person who cannot forgive is a person who's forgotten what they've been forgiven of. It should be on the side screens. 
Take a look. Take a moment. Digest it. Get it into your spirit. An offended person who cannot forgive is a person who has forgotten what they've been forgiven. Missing an end, but what we've been forgiven of. But now I'm speaking to the church because many of us are, we're strong believers in this house. I've watched how many of you have stood the test of tribulation and struggles, and you have, I mean, and, and maybe for a season you struggle with some unforgiveness and some bitterness, but you know what? You move past it. I've watched it. That's maturity. That's a sign that you're maturing. Don't become a doormat. You confront it, bring it before the Lord. But in the church, we categorize sin into big sins, okay? We look and say adultery, fornication, witchcraft, murder, those are all big sins. But then we got our weaknesses. Our weaknesses are like gossip. Oh, that's a weakness, Pastor. Gossip. Backbiting. Well, why is it backbiting? Because they couldn't find a knife in the Old Testament. The guy just, David said, they didn't have a knife. They didn't have a flint knife. They just backbite them. And unforgiveness. Did you understand? Now, I, want, I really do. I want us to. Do you understand that Jesus said that if you have unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody, that you cannot go to heaven? Oh, but I'm not drinking, Pastor. I'm not out sleeping around. I'm not, I'm not out when I say drinking. I'm not getting hammered. You know, I'm not falling into all sorts and types of sins. No, but you have unforgiveness towards a family member. And you come to church and you try to worship, but it feels like there's a wall up. There's a reason. It's because that unforgiveness is there. I want to read something personally that I, uh, a personal revelation. I was reading a book just recently. It was, a re it was a revelation to me about gossip. I don't know why this hit me right between the eyes. And this is what I wrote down. Gossip is a deceptive food because as you eat it, it tastes great and goes down into the innermost part of your being, feeling like it warms your heart. Now, I just added that part. It plants, but it plants seeds of doubt and distraction that leads to the eater's destruction. Gossip tastes great. It's awesome. I'm tearing somebody else down at the expense of lifting me up because something they did offended and hurt me. But what I've just done is I've just drank my own poison, took in my own belly seeds that are going to grow and to destroy my future relationships. That's gossip. Proverbs 6, 19, I'm not going to read the whole thing, just verse 19. These, the Lord is speaking in Proverbs, and he says, six things I hate, yes, seven are abomination to the Lord. He goes through a lying tongue, an arrogant pride spirit. He talks about hands that shed innocent blood. He gets down to this, and he says, a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among the people. Dissensions, divisions. Oh, it's one word. There it goes. And that's all the devil needs to do, right? In the parable of the wheat and the tares, what does he do? He just goes by at night and throws the seed, throws the tares out and keeps rolling. And it's, they water them. Somehow it gets watered, right? One who sows discord. If we treat gossip the same way that we treat murder, we might find deliverance. Well, I would never murder nobody. Yeah, but you're murdering their character. You're tearing their character to shreds. Why are you doing that? I know it's heavy. I got, I got it. I was like, oh, boy, let's get this thing over with. How about the prayer party? Amen. Let's go home. What about Larry's coffee? We're missing it right now. 
Now, let's, let's look at this and let's get to the heart of this matter and we, we're, we're done. So, one of the things that we have to do in our personal life is we have to, whenever we're offended and we're hurt, offense that is in our heart and we can't shake it, we're offended. It's just like everywhere we go, it's just, and again, it could have been legitimate, right? They could have rightly hurt you. You've got to unmask your heart in the presence of God and seek truth. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta unveil when I, so it's like I can come to church and I can talk to you guys and you're like, man, everything's great. Pastor AJ's life, everything seems to be great. But when I go home away from the crowd and there's nobody there, which that's impossible at this point because I got kids all around me. Thankfully, they, they cling to their mom more than me. So I'm great for that sometimes. Um, but no, when I, when I go home and I get away from the crowds and I'm, it's me by myself, this is where I've been. I, I'm, I'm, I'm miserable because you always feel like someone's out. You have a victim mentality. This is where I was. It's a victim mentality. It's like every time I turned around, somebody was out to get me, I felt like. And that's what the enemy wants. He wants you to keep a victim mentality so that he can keep you down. But it all started with an offense. That what happened was an offense moved from an offense to the point to where you start betraying somebody because you feel betrayed. And then betrayal leads to, God forbid, the hatred. Because that's what the scripture says. It's a progression. And when, when, when hatred happens, oh, you've already, you've already received deception into your heart. And all it takes is some fly-by-the-night prophet coming through or some man to, or some woman that you listen to, to just to say something. And all you just buy into it. Any wind of doctrine that comes through and you buy into it. Next thing you know, you've removed yourself from the gathering of the people that God's called you to where he planted you. And now you're in a place where you're completely deceived. You know what I read? Demetri, if you'd come, I'm stopping right here. I, I, I would love to get into this next portion, but I can't. Um, I read, I don't know if I was in high school, one of the many few times that I paid attention in class. Um, but I read a story about an Alaskan hunter. Actually, I think he was an, an Indian. And he told a story about how that he would kill the wolves around his camp. Some of you might have heard this before. So if you've heard it, just act like it. You know, at this point, you can say, hey, man, Patch, that's good. Like, nobody wants to say amen while he goes, like, I don't want people, you know, I'm, I'm just holy. I won't be holy tonight. But he told this story about how he killed wolves that would come around his house. He would take a knife, a bowie knife, and he would dip it in blood, whatever, whatever blood of an animal that he killed, and then he would let it freeze. Dip it in blood again, let it freeze. Dip it in blood again, let it freeze until the blood had built up this big ice block of blood on the blade. And they would go out and he would plant the handle in the middle of the woods. Now we talked about wolves, now let's flip it on the wolves. The wolves is us walking into a trap. Let's just say that. We're not wolves, but for the scenario we can be. And so the blade, the, 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 um, the handle of the knife was stuck into the ground. And so the wolf comes up, smells it, because they have a keen nose for blood begins to lick the blade, continues to lick until all the frozen blood is consumed until he starts licking the blade with his own tongue and he starts bleeding to the point to where he bleeds out because he's deceived. He doesn't know it. I know that's a grotesque analogy for what I'm saying, but it's in the same sense with us. We're enticed and pulled into an offense. It's a trap. 
it's triggered, we're, sna- we're snatched. I'm a fowler, so I'm talking about snares tonight. Y'all just didn't, nobody got that. Everybody's asleep. I get it, you know, I has 8.15, let's go to the house, okay. So anyway, we walk into these situations because we're in a culture right now where people are predisposed to a spirit of offense already. Christians are predisposed to a spirit of offense. Offense. And we play right into the trap. We partake. And eventually, we find ourselves isolated from the rest of the crowd, all by ourselves. What's the answer that I would give as I leave tonight? I want to talk more about unforgiveness and forgiveness and relationships and all that stuff the next week. But I wanted to lay the foundation of offense. We lose tenderness with the Holy Spirit, which is your key ingredient to spiritual maturity. You want to grow in the kingdom of God? You want to grow in your relationship with God? Keep a tender heart. Don't get hard-hearted. You lose sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. You, You don't feel His nudgings anymore. You don't obey His leading because you're not continually being led. You're offended. Your ability to hear God's voice is hindered because it feels like there's a wall, and it is. You have built a stronghold. Your accuracy to see darkened. Your accuracy to see is darkened, and eventually you're blinded. This is what happens if you carry an offense for a long period of time. And so this is what I would suggest you do. Stand to your feet. And this is everybody. I don't care if you've been offended or if you're hurt, you're, you're struggling with forget. I don't care who you are. Right now, I want everybody in the room, let's just make sure you can again you can fool me but it's up between you and the Lord where the mask has to come off and God has to get truth into your heart and flip this thing it begins with conversation God I don't know what this preacher's talking about tonight I'm playing dumb but honestly Lord he's he's pretty right on worth where I'm at I'm angry I'm mad I'm frustrated you didn't show up when you said you were when you were supposed to. And I'm really offended at you, God. But I gotta be honest. So second thing I'm gonna do, I'm gonna have an open heart. I'm gonna be honest with you. God, I'm mad at you. I'm mad at this person. I'm mad at them. But God, I'm gonna open up tonight and I choose to forgive and I choose to receive from you. I choose to forgive them and receive forgiveness from you. Forgive me, God. Start with yourself. You got to forgive yourself. The next thing is seeking truth. And this is where this is going to be hit home to a lot of us. Not the way that things are appearing into your life, but as they really are. Not what they appear, but as they really are. So, Father, I ask you. Come on. if, If that's you and you struggle with this, just... You and the Lord tonight, I want to give you time. Begin with conversation. Open your heart and be honest to him how you feel. Your feelings are valid, although that they may lead you in the wrong way. You have to release them to God. And then ask God to start with you first. God, forgive me. I come to seek truth, not the way that things appear. Truth is reality, but as they really are. I want everybody to pray this, if you would. I'm going to say just a few phrases at a time and you catch it. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would reveal by your Holy Spirit 
your word to me. As I receive this message tonight, expose any hidden areas of my heart that have hindered me from knowing you and serving you more effectively. I welcome the conviction of your spirit and ask for your grace to carry out what you desire of me. May I come to know you more intimately as a result of hearing your voice through this message I've received tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I just pray over you that throughout this couple of next Wednesday nights that we have the opportunity to be together uh, in, in this regard, I pray that the Lord would work in your heart, that he would identify you've got to be willing. It's an attitude, which means that it's not somebody going to lay hands on you and change it. It's you. You have to be the one to step and initiate it. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you are able to take something from this sermon and apply it to your life. Also, feel free to share this with your friends and family. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at loveandtruthchurchsavannah at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week.